What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Sorry No Podcast today, where we do not have an episode because we are currently in contract negotiations with two new uh, hosts, uh, one of whom will replace Kevin, the other whom of whom will uh, become the seventh host of the show, um, because it's not confusing enough as it is. Um, I am Alex Katzen. JP is not here because he is asleep. We are recording in the middle of the night, uh, specifically so that JP is not here uh, for some reason. Uh, and we are here to, uh, basically just kind of mess around. We just, uh, have some, uh, have some silly, funny content to make today. Um, Karina is here. How are you doing Karina? I am doing well. I just finished up a 12 and a half hour ER shift. So I am not responsible for any words that come out of my mouth in the next hour. Good. Very good. Uh, probably still of sounder mind than uh, Brian Johnson, the Eagles offensive coordinator. Um, AJ, yes. how are you? I'm I'm doing well. I've, I've chucked a cup of coffee and uh, ready to go. Great. Uh, Tyler uh, is here. Tyler Fornis from Vikings Wire. How are you? I'm good. I spent the evening watching Jaden Daniels and the last season of The Sopranos. It's been a fun evening. You uh, are Brian Kelly circa 2021. Oh, the last uh, episode of the Tommy <laughs> DeVito tape. And uh, Gabagool. Anyway, I guess Kevin is here too. Hi, Kevin. Uh, I just want to be clear that not, I am not responsible for anything that comes out of my mouth either, but I never am on this podcast. Yeah, I just had to say stuff. Uh, we hold you Kevin... fully responsible for everything <laughs> negative that is. Kevin is still drunk from the drink he got from the Guandan Tigers uh, the other day. Look, look, I also just want to be clear. I wanted to host this episode and I was shut down immediately by All of everyone us immediately else. Said no, and instead I'm doing it. Um, I still think yeah. you should let me host an episode during the summer. Uh, no, we will absolutely not be doing that um, because we like having an audience. Uh, speaking of which, thank you all for being here. Um, yeah, we are here to talk about uh, some big time retirements slash uh hey man, you should retire, otherwise we're going to fire you, things that happened uh, in all of football today um, as we're recording this. I guess technically for you guys it's tomorrow, but here it's only 10.15. Um, and that is uh, future Sorry No podcast host today, uh, co-hosts uh, Nick Saban and Pete Carroll, formerly of the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Nick Saban announcing his retirement from coaching uh, with no pressure from the organization and Pete Carroll announcing his sort of retirement and sort of uh, advisory role with the Seahawks in a uh, very much uh, hey man, you should think about retiring uh, because we don't really want to fire you sort of situation. You don't got to leave, but you can't stay here. <laughs> well, he did actually get told that he could stay there specifically, just not as the head coach. So not really, but so, good try, Kevin. So, so Alex, I appreciate it. Alex, real question. Which one is replacing me? Is it Nick Saban who's replacing me? Uh, both of them are replacing you on a part-time basis. They're going to okay, rotate. Okay, so it's... it's yeah, just we both can hire a broomstick to replace you, Kevin. <laughs> both, of them, both of them have other media obligations that they, were, they will uh, we, surely We tried to get to. the plank from Ed and Nettie to come and replace <laughs> Kevin. He but, did have a good personality, yeah. though. 
Nick Saban will be busy uh, replacing Lee Corso on College Game Day next year, uh, and so he will only be on the show uh, twice a week, and then Pete Carroll will be on for the other three episodes. So, so is Nick Saban going to be putting on headgear as well? Like, is he going to be throwing on an Auburn Tiger mascot headgear? No, he's going to be throwing you into a crowd <laughs> of uh, ravenous uh, live mascots for the team that he thinks is going to win. Kevin, do you remember how they had the tracker for the goalposts when Tennessee beat Alabama as it was flowing down the river? Yes. They're going to make one of those for you. (laughs) What, you think I'm, like, irresponsible and getting... (laughs) It's, like, floating down the river. (laughs) (laughs) Just shove an apple air tag up your butt. Week Week one is going to be Alabama-Miami, and he's going to go... I got the Gators, and he's going to throw me into a pack of Gators. Who's the Gators with Alabama and Miami? (laughs) Where are you? (laughs) I'm not here. Okay. Okay. We're going to first wonder that I shut up, Kevin. Yeah, very good. All right. Kevin is gone. Anyway, um, I guess we should probably start with Saban, um, which I guess first we'll do kind of like our reactions to the news, and then we'll kind of get into – who we think might end up being his replacement. But I'll start with AJ, uh, given that he's kind of the resident coaching guy. Um, what did you think this was going to happen? It, I mean, it had kind of circled around for a little while. I mean, but like every year it's been, is, is this the year Saban retires? Is this the year Saban retires? And then he's interviewing assistants like Kevin Steele just retired. And we we're like, oh, he's just going to get a defensive coordinator. It might be Jeremy Pruitt. Might be who you be, whoever. And then this just drops. I, I dropped my phone. I straight up, I read it, and I was like, "There's no way." I, I sat in. I, I was shocked for a good five or ten minutes before I could like actually go. Oh my god, is this is this real? Like it, this is like I had to check chris lowe's account probably five or six times to be like there's no way this is fake this has got to be fake and everybody else was doing the same thing it i think it caught everybody off guard because it just happened out of nowhere yeah i i kind of agree with that i was in the middle of the work day um i kind of taken a break from my phone and then i i look at everything and i have like six group chat notifications from all over the place and everyone is freaking out and i was like what happened i know Pete carroll just retired but like what what's going on and uh i was like oh shit that's not supposed to be something that happened um yeah for for me it was kind of crazy because i had like just finished watching the pete carroll press conference which was really great to watch it, it was he had some amazing amazing points uh just about players health and and things like that and i like it, it was emotional it was a very very emotional press conference and almost uh, maybe within an hour not even of that wrapping up this news announced so it was just like a double gut punch of like wow like pete carroll had been with seattle for 14 years and, and nick saban has been there for 17 and so now it's like these people that i grew up watching both all of this happening within at least an hour and a half to, of each other was just like just complete emotion all afternoon of just like wow like what this next stage of college football and and football just in general with those two it's just going to be a complete unknown 
I had kind of mentioned this, uh, I think earlier tonight or last night as we're recording this, uh, but like Nick Saban was the coach that you loved to hate. Like you hated him because he was so damn good at his job, but you also loved him because he was that last like staple for college football. Right. And there was the tweet of like, uh, all those coaches gone and then Saban gone as well. But, uh, the thing about this is I don't know if he was interviewing wide receiver coaches for him. Part of me feels like he was interviewing wide receiver coaches for the next hire uh, because the the whole thing was, I think Alabama officials, uh, according to reports, had told players that, you know, be ready for the next hire in the next uh, 72 hours. Uh, I think that they had been prepared for this to happen. I think that this was not going to catch them by surprise. And I kind of feel like he may have, thought about this for a while uh, and just didn't want to make it about him because since Saban has really took Alabama to these new heights, it's never been about him. And I didn't feel like he was going to make it about him now. Uh, But it it is shocking and it is a change to college football. And this feels like the biggest coaching change that college football will see in a while. Uh, you know, because of how much Nick Saban changed college football. And and I don't think that, like, the next hire is the next Nick Saban, but he's going to be held to that level regardless of what happens. Yeah. I want to throw it over to Karina, who's our resident uh, SEC expert, and kind of get her thoughts on uh, the whole circumstances around uh, the retirement and kind of, like, transitioning, like Kevin mentioned, kind of, like, into what is next. Karina, um your thoughts on uh, on Nick Saban? Well, I was thinking a lot today about Nick Saban's time with the Dolphins and what made Saban a good college coach versus a mediocre NFL coach. And obviously him not getting the quarterback that he allegedly really wanted, you know, changed his entire career trajectory. But this is the NIL era. The coaching that Nick Saban is doing now and has been probably over the last two years is much more similar to what he was doing with the Dolphins or what you would do on the professional level than it is to what you were doing in 2007. And his whole agenda and his whole brand of Alabama football has been a blue collar mentality with championships and pumping out NFL players. And now that's not a one of a kind program anymore. People, young players don't care as much about that as they do about money and about what can you offer me financially as a program. You kind of have this free agency in college football now. Um, It's changing so much. And now that the conferences are kind of falling apart or merging and the next five years are going to be so different. I don't blame him. This is the perfect time to completely step away from everything and hang it up. You know, you went out on the top, the top of the top there's a lot more competition now you're going to have to completely reset the approach to your program in the next year or so as conferences kind of fall apart i don't blame him one bit i think it's a great time it's a great decision on his end and i wish him nothing but the best it's not going to be the same without him i i think the thing is like nick saban is very vocal about a lot of things or was very vocal about a lot of things during his press conferences and the thing is that, like, these last few years, the press conferences, at least early in the season, were very related on, like, I think challenging Alabama to get with the times in terms of NIL and, you know, competing at that kind of level. Because 
you know, I think we've all, we talked about even last episode about how, you know, Alabama had not been recruiting the same that they were five years ago. Uh, you know, Kirby Smart had gotten up to that level. I think even like Oregon had gotten up to that level. Like there were other teams recruiting well. And that was something that Nick Saban had been able to do at an incredibly high level. And uh, he had been made it, he had been, uh, you know, very vocal about the changes in college football, NIL, conference realignment. He warned a lot of people about this. So I think that for him, it's like, as Karina mentioned, I think he saw the writing on the wall and he kind of said that, you know, I don't know if he really wanted to go through that and have to deal with that again because he is in his mid 70s and that man has a wife and that man has a life outside of this and he probably wants to go to the country club and hit some golf balls and just enjoy life, uh, you know, and advise on some teams or go on ESPN sometimes. And like he's reached that point of his of his career where, you know, it's tiring to go through the offseason and try and recruit and do all that at an, at an incredibly high level. Uh, and that's why I think a lot of coaches in college football in particular either flame out or just look for other opportunities because coaching in college football is a chore and it is nothing like the NFL and it is a full-time job January to December, no months off. Yeah. I think it's an interesting point too, because like you bring up like, you know, Alabama's recruiting has kind of taken a step back and everything. And while I think that all of us agree that that's sort of true, it is also interesting because like, you look at like 24-7's blue chip ratio that they do, and Alabama is the highest in the country at 90% coming into this season. And I'm I want to say that like I've seen floating around out there that like this Alabama team, the 2023 Alabama team, by recruiting rankings, is the most talented team in college football history. Um, and so while like the sentiment does feel correct and like it does feel like Alabama's kind of taken a step back, it is it's just interesting to me that like Nick Saban has built that program uh, up to that point where like that can still be seen as taking a step back. Um, Tyler, did you have anything you wanted to add? I think one of the interesting elements that we really haven't talked about much is I wonder if he's getting a little extra annoyed about his coaching staff and it almost becoming like an all-star coaching staff. And then guys just come here to, to like almost rehab and then bail. And like, like, I think AJ, you said earlier in the season, like this is not exactly a really strong Alabama coaching staff, like compared to like past years. And when you talk about the blue chip ratio cats and the, the amount of like perceived talent um, based on the recruiting ratings is really high, but they're not exactly extracting a ton out of these guys. Like compared to previous years, like you look at an Alabama teams that were less talented, they were throttling teams by 30 or 40 every single week. This Alabama team struggled against UCF, only beat uh, Auburn and Arkansas, I think by three each. Like this isn't exactly like it, the playing field's getting leveled, not just with like uh, recruiting and NIL and the transfer portal, but it's also getting more level with coaching and I think all those factors and the fact that Saban 71, I believe he said in the documentary that he did with Bill Belichick on HBO, that it's not going to be his decision. When his wife says, you're done, I'm done. And I think, like, the guy's 71 years old. What the hell does he have to accomplish? He's done literally everything, unless he wants to go full-blown NCAA dynasty 
and go out to New Mexico State and bring them to an Addy, there's literally um, nothing else that he can do. Classic wife guy, Nick Saban. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Greg Popovich, honestly, where um, like Greg Popovich, um, before his uh, wife got uh, ill um, and, uh, you know, everything around that, like there was a lot of rumors about Popovich just like stepping away and like stopping coaching because he was just like, listen, man, like I have I have a family to to be with. And, and they had Becky you know, Hammond supposedly <clears throat> in the wings, too. And yeah, she's phenomenal. Right. And so it does, it is, it, it does kind of like give me, um, similar sort of vibes, not, um, you know, obviously I hope Nick Saban's wife is in, is in great health and everything, but, um, but just kind of like you were talking about of just kind of like, Hey, when, like when the wife says that I'm done, I'm done, man. Um, Karina, did you have, uh, something else you wanted to add about the Saban situation? Yeah, just a little bit on what Tyler said about not getting as much out of players anymore and a little bit about like circling back to what his identity was for so many years and how that just doesn't necessarily carry over to modern football as much is players used to come to Alabama and buy into that. You're not necessarily going to start as a freshman, right? They're going to get the most out of you as a junior or senior, and then you go to the draft and become a first-round pick. People don't wait because they're not waiting that long anymore. They're going to the portal if they don't play. You know what I mean? So they want to be told that they're going to start and Nick Saban's never going to be the kind of coach that's going to promise you a starting spot that does not exist. Yeah, so definitely. Portal's hard for him. I really truly believe that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I mean, you can you can kind of see that with the way that uh, Alabama's portal commitments has kind of worked out where it's kind of it's been a much more up and down results wise than some of the other power programs in college football. Um, I do want to kind of circle back to something that Tyler mentioned about how the coaching staff, you know, it's not like this, uh, like great, like developed all like homegrown staff. It's kind of like this hodgepodge of all-star, uh, assistant coaches and everything that are liable to leave, uh, Bama and go in, you know, it's the Nick Saban school for rehabilitation. It's become like, you know, a, a meme in the college football world, but that's also put Alabama in kind of an awkward place in terms of like what's next for them, because there's not really a easy name for an in-house replacement that's already there waiting in the wings. And so I'm curious to to hear your guys' thoughts on like what is next for Alabama, because like it's certainly not going to be Tommy Reese, God willing. Um, and like Kevin Steele just retired the defensive coordinator. Well, who and, says like, it won't really be Tommy have... Reese? Who says it won't be Tommy Reese? Me. Just... Well, betting odds. Well, I, I just want to say Alabama's made some bad hires recently. This could just be another one. Yeah, well, it, bad hires on the assistant coaching staff is a little bit different when the guy making them is Nick Saban. You get a lot of grace when your name is Nick Saban. And you know what? For all of Reese's flaws, he still got Jalen Milrow to be a borderline Heisman candidate and three yards away from tying Michigan in the semifinal. Like, it's not exactly nothing. Well... We can have a, a discussion about whether that was Tommy Reese or whether that was Jalen Milrow at a later date, but um, I, I'm just saying he gets at least a portion of the credit for that. Sure. It's sure. not nothing. Sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of want to touch base with you guys and see like where we're at in terms of like what the future holds. Um, we'll start with AJ. Who I feel bad for the next guy. Like, the uh, Stuart Mandel had put out a tweet of being like, I don't want to be the guy that follows up Nick Saban. Like I, I stay where I'm at when, and you know, 
replace that guy in three years. But also, like, college coaches are uh, demented. Like, they will absolutely, every college coach in the country would take that 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 job and hard like except for kirby smart i think every every coach would be like yeah no i, I want to be the head coach at alabama i don't care if i'm following nick saban or not but who in the world do you possibly have because that is one job that is one of the few jobs in college football where a 10 and 3 record gets you run out of town right like like you you can't go 10 and 3 at alabama anymore like that's that that's that's the standard that has been set and so now it's like who do you go to Dan Lanning who hasn't really won much at Oregon yet? Do you go to Lane Kiffin who hasn't really won much at Ole Miss? Like the only one who has really won is, is Dabo. And I feel like Dabo is a much less desirable candidate than he was three years ago. And so like, you're, you're really in a hard position candidate wise unless you just go like we're gonna just hire some young promising guy like glenn schumann or whatever and just see if that works get some high energy recruiter guy just see what happens with that but you like you have to hit the ground running at alabama and that's hard for a new coach especially if that coach doesn't necessarily kind of like mix well with the guys in because they they can all bolt i mean caleb downs is going to get so many people to try to pull him into the portal like every team in the country is going to try to get caleb downs like he's just that kind of player and who knows where you could start over from day one uh, it, this this is just such a weird timing especially at this point in the cycle there's not uh, there, i don't know what the best option is for alabama at this point i honestly think the best bet for alabama is kind of a similar route to what Texas A&M just took with Mike Elko hire. It's got to be somebody who's already coached there, who already understands what the culture that Nick Saban has built and what the expectations are of the boosters and the fan base. And that's why you're hearing a lot of the conversations about Dan Lane and Kirby Smart and all the batting odds. It was basically just who has ever coached under Nick Saban at Alabama? Derek Dooley. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The Please just let it be Jeremy Pruitt so he can hand out uh, McDonald's bags of cash. I need that. Um, but it, I really think whoever takes this job is going to have to already have an understanding of what they're truly walking into. It is a shame that they're not going to be able to have like a Marcus Freeman on staff that can they can just slide right up and there's an expectation, okay, you're taking over this job, but you're going to have a little bit of grace because you're so young and you have so much promise where the first couple of years, if you win eight or nine games, we're not going to kill you. I don't think that because there's nobody on that staff right now that's really capable of being able to do that, they're going to have that kind of grace. Um, and I mean, Notre Dame is just as ravenous as uh, Alabama. It's just the standards for their previous head coach are different because Brian Kelly ain't Nick Saban. And I, I think if Lanning were to take that job, at least you have two years of, hey, he made Bo Nix look good. For two years, and they he completely reformatted that defense into being a really, really good unit after it, it had had some struggles. And you can at least see a path for him being a really good head coach at Alabama. But it's a tough one. I, I, I really want to see if they call Sark, and I want to see what he says. That's one thing I really want out of this cycle. I think Sark, Sark should stay at Texas. I think he's got a really good thing going, but... That's an interesting one for me. 
I do think it'd be extremely funny if um, the Arch Manning Portal Simulator episode that we did a couple weeks ago uh, comes to fruition and uh, Stark ends up bringing Arch to uh, to Tuscaloosa with him. Uh, Karina, did you have any thoughts on uh, where Alabama goes next? Yeah, um, I was going to kind of piggyback off the old coach kind of idea that it kind of has to be someone that's been in the program and understands what they're getting themselves into. I also don't understand why everything's about landing, but I think that they already know, right? Like they don't drop this announcement. Nick Saban 100% probably picked his, you know, person coming after him. Like he already knows. But I did see something that was a little bit fascinating to me on an Alabama never going to happen hot board. Uh, D'Amico Ryans was on the wish list of some Alabama fans. And I was thinking for a minute if there were any NFL coaches or assistant coaches that could potentially be drawn to this job. I doubt it. It's pretty unlikely, especially if they want to keep it within the college football world with the recruiting and the NIL, et cetera. But something to think about. I know it's not going to be D'Amico Ryans, but. There was a quote uh, that came out from, uh, let me get the person. Nick Kelly, who works for the Tuscaloosa News, and it was saving on Dan Lanning, uh, quote, what I've always tried to do is have a bunch of young people, evaluate them, see them go get other jobs, and know that you would hire them back because you know who they are. Now, one of those disadvantages of having all the all these guys going out and getting jobs everywhere is I hire the guys before I get a chance to, like Dan Lanning. Uh, Dan Lanning, of course, going to Georgia with Kirby Smart, but I agree that like this is not something that was just sort of blindsided, right? Like they had a running list of candidates for years, probably, right? And it was like a thing of like who is the next in line when Nick Saban eventually hangs it up because he was reaching his late sixties, and you know after a while you start to sort of plan for the next step. And I feel like Dan Lennox probably at the top of that list because of the success he's had recruiting at Oregon, and while it hasn't been consistently winning games or winning the big game, uh, you know, in terms of like winning a Pac-12 championship this past season. But like, I think that he is probably your best bet in terms of recent coaches who have hired, you know, who recent uh, coaches at Alabama, because Lane Kiffin just doesn't seem like a right cultural fit. Uh, Sarkeesian has a really good job at Texas. I don't know why he would leave that job right now, uh, especially for the pressure of Alabama. And, like, Glenn Schumann just can't be the hire, right? Like, you can't – the, the next guy can't be Glenn Schumann for this job because you also have to make a hire where Alabama fans don't riot uh, because they clearly don't want Dabo Sweeney. Uh, I'm not sure why they would want Glenn Schumann, uh, you know, even if he's a great coach, and I think he is. I feel like the plan – and this is me spitballing. This is not me having sources. I think the plan is to get – or I feel like the plan is probably to try and get both Landing and Schumann and try and build that coaching staff again. Can you do it? I don't know. But, like, I feel like Landing is probably your best bet in terms of a guy who was coached there in the past because one of the other options is Mel Tucker. And, well, don't think he's getting hired in Alabama anytime soon. <laughs> Alabama head coach Billy Napier. I uh you head coach Billy Napier to you. <laughs> Florida game changer coach Nick Saban, who says no. Yeah, but the I think the thing to keep in mind here is that Dan Lanning has wanted to go back to the SEC. Right? Like he he has 
ever since he took that Oregon job, it's been very well known that both him and Dave Aranda, for that matter, have wanted to go back to the SEC. That's they've why his buyout's been, so big. It, that, yeah, that's what, just why they've been waiting. For, he's just been waiting for the right job, right? Like he was never going to go to Auburn. That's not that's not for Dan Laney, but like LSU, Alabama, one of those opening up. Yeah, yeah, that's big enough for for Dan Laney to come back. And like the fact that they're saying that they're going to get this hire within the next seventy two hours, kind of tells me that this isn't going to be a super long in-depth search beyond the most obvious candidates. And that's, and that's Dan Lanning. And I, you know what? All power to him. I think the reason why this is going to be such a quick coaching search is again, because I think they've been doing this coaching search for a few weeks now. And Nick Saban, again, just doesn't make things about himself. And why is he going to make his retirement about him when, He's just not one of those guys, right? So, like, I think that they've been preparing for this behind the scenes for weeks now and have done a pretty good job of keeping things under wraps because I don't think Nick Saban told a lot of people that he was retiring, but only told the people who really needed to know. Yeah, as far as the landing thing goes, I do think that, like, A, Dan Landing is exactly the kind of psychopath that would take this job because I fully believe that Dan Lanning believes that like he could take Alabama to an even higher level than Nick Saban has because like every interview that you see with that man is like the most unhinged stuff you've ever seen. And that's like saying a lot for an industry full of psychopaths. Um, Like AJ said, it's pretty clear that he wants to go back to the SEC. Um, And I think too, like, you know, we've talked about how like Saban's adjustment to like the portal and the NIL era and everything is kind of like, maybe made things a little bit more difficult for Alabama. And like, you want to talk about someone that's thrived in this new era of college football, like Oregon may not have like the on field success to back it up. But like, if you're going off recruiting rankings and transfer portal commits and, you know, NIL money and stuff like Oregon's been among the best in the country, uh, like bar none, like regardless of conference affiliation, regardless of region, like one of the best in the country straight up period. And, Lanning has been a huge part of that. And I think that Lanning is obviously like there's the Nike money and everything at Oregon. And so like you get into a kind of a, uh, again, like a, how much of that is Lanning and how much of it is Oregon. But I do think that Lanning has had a huge part to play in that. And he's obviously a very good recruiter. He has been the entire time he's been a coach. And so I think if you're looking for someone to pivot to kind of like the new era of college football, quote unquote, then like Lanning makes all the sense in the world. I want to throw this name out there because it's not going to happen for a multitude of reasons, but I think it'd be really fascinating. Bill Belichick. Alabama head coach Pete Carroll. And we're going to talk about Pete Carroll. Look, I'm saying it's not going to happen, but I I feel like it'd be fascinating. Like AJ mentioned that press conference. When you watched it, that was not a man who wanted to stop coaching. It was a man who wanted to keep going. He's already been very successful in the college ranks, and the college ranks is basically the pros now. And I, I feel like he would transition relatively well back to college, considering what the college game is now. And I, th- I think he would be able to build up that staff and get him to a, a great baseline point again. So Tyler, my one concern with this is I do agree that like it's the lines are becoming a little bit more blurred in terms of college and the NFL. But the biggest thing that like a lot of guys who go to the NFL and never return to college say is that like, the whole recruiting thing is just completely different because you're recruiting from, 
you know, winter to summer, right? And there's like not even a break in the summer. Whereas in the NFL, you get the break of like once free agency ends, you get that break in between OTA starting and, you know, you get that little break and it's not like as a much of a big undertaking of recruiting every single week. Uh, I think Pete Carroll will return to coaching. I just don't think it'll be a college job at 72 years old. Like that's just sort of, uh, he would do really good at Alabama, right? Like he would kill it at Alabama because he's a great coach. But I, I at 72 years old, I don't see him going back to coach in college anytime soon. Well, the difference with Pete Carroll is he's not a normal human. He has more energy than the five of us combined. That dude is is like, it's like he has an IV of espresso at 24-7. The dude is just full of life and energy. And I think if there's one 72-year-old that would be able to do it, it's Carroll. I just thought it would be, with this exercise, it would be interesting to talk about especially because we're going to have that conversation about Carroll here in a minute. I, I will say that if there was any NFL coach who I feel, or former NFL coach now, who I feel incredibly confident going into the college level and it being a seamless transition, it would absolutely be Pete Carroll, uh, not only because he's done it before, but also because, as you mentioned, right, like this is not a normal 72-year-old who's still coaching. That man I don't think has ever had more energy than like these last few years. Uh, so I – it would work in theory, but uh, you could call him, and I don't even know if he would answer it at this point. I feel like he's going to take that little break away from from coaching for at least a year. Kevin mentioned a seamless transition. Uh, you know what else was a seamless transition was uh, in 1980 when Nick Saban was hired uh, as the secondary coach at Ohio State to replace uh, Pete Carroll, who uh, today was – announced to uh have mutually agreed although uh mutually doing a lot of uh of heavy lifting in that sentence um to step down as Seahawks head coach um he's going to move into an advisory role in the organization for the time being um again like we've kind of touched on at, at various parts during the show it doesn't really sound like he wanted to stop coaching or wants to stop coaching in any capacity but uh the Seahawks uh disagree and so they're kind of uh, forcing him into the retirement home a couple of years early, um, gave a very emotional press conference today and everything. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know, I guess like we can just kind of start with like, this is a level of stability from an NFL organization that like you see very rarely. I mean, Pete Carroll was hired in 2010 and the other coaching hires that year were Chan Gailey as the Buffalo Bills head coach. Leslie Frazier in Minnesota and Mike Shanahan in Washington, not Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan in Washington with Sean McVay as assistant tight ends coach. Um, so like, this is, this is really like truly the end of an era, not only for the Seahawks, but kind of for the entire NFL. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious to see like your guys' thoughts on again, kind of like where the Seahawks go next from here. Um, so I was thinking a lot about coach and quarterback and part of the reason this happened. And I know they say it's mutual, but let's be real. It's probably not. Um, you know, the Geno Smith saying that, you know, what is he, there's a lot of offensive questions going forward. You're kind of in that weird spot of like being in the middle of the draft, right. Where you're competing, but not really. And I think they just want to completely reset with, you know, a new quarterback, a new head coach, a new kind of 
vision with a new style of offense. I don't know where they look per se, but after I sometimes wonder too how much the whole Russell Wilson thing ha- took a toll on Pete Carroll's relationship with the organization. There was a lot of drama there. We still don't really know the whole story. So I just think there's a lot of unanswered questions and I'm curious to see exactly what kind of a role that he maintains within the organization. When it, Does he get to interview a new candidate? Does he get to play a general manager role? Does he get to, you know, give draft advice? Like, what are they going to let him do? Um, and how much of his, the system that he built over the last, like, almost 20 years, you know, stays there? Or do they completely rip it up and start over in the next two years? You know, I'm interested to get some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm hoping that the uh, the main thing that he gets to keep doing is shirtless uh, interviews with prospects at the Combine. Um, as long as he still gets to do that, I think everyone will be uh, completely fine with it. Um, I do think that you bring up a, a great point, too, though, which is that if Carroll is going to stay on in this advisory role that he's you know, been reported to be staying on as, um, I think that there is a pretty legitimate question about like how much power does the next head coach even going to have? Uh, in Seattle. And so, um, AJ, do you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, I, it's, it, I really think the reason that Pete Carroll, like ultimately did this is because Pete Carroll loves those players, right? Like I think he did not want all of them to go through a full reset, which is why I think he's trying to step back, which means they're going to immediately get somebody that everybody there is familiar with like that's that's just kind of the read i get off of it which tells me dan dan quinn like dan dan quinn is is probably going to step right in into that and for all of you know Pete carroll was 71 and i still thought he managed the modern game better than probably really any head coach in the nfl i would argue i thought Pete carroll is 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 one of the greatest coaches of all time uh, innovative every single year phenomenal scheme and the best part about uh, Pete Carroll is that as a defensive coach he was a quarterback genius like he he really was able to get the most out of every single quarterback he's coached for decades now and i i think that's where they kind of want to how do you like how do you manage that because now you lose such an icon that everybody in that building loved and like he's still sort of there, but how do you really balance John Schneider, who is a, kind of not really a control freak, but has been in that job for a while, versus Pete Carroll in that front office as a special advisor, versus a guy that you know, like especially if you hire a new young head coach who isn't really familiar and who wants to kind of do his own things, that just doesn't seem like the kind of environment that Pete Carroll would want to leave behind for those players. So that that's why I'm kind of leaning more towards it's a, it's a guy that they're familiar with who is who knows the Seattle way is familiar with those guys in the locker room. I think one thing that I keep going back to in my head is uh January of 2022 when it was rumored that the Vikings were going to fire Mike Zimmer which they did. But Rick Spielman was going to Um, resign his post as general manager and then move into an advisory role in the front office. And it was talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks, but they didn't end up doing that. They ended up completely getting rid of Spielman because they didn't want him being in the building to impact the new general manager because 
that the old guy is still here. And then there's going to be all these questions about, well, who's actually making the decisions? Are they actually going to feel comfortable to actually run the team the way they want to because of Spielman's influence in the building? To me, from an outside perspective, I think I think they're, they're going to offer him a spot to stay in the building, but I don't think he'll end up taking it. I think they want they wanted a new voice. They wanted to change things up. And sometimes, even though you're still having relative success, you need to change things up to benefit yourself long term. And I, I, I that's that's just what I get here, where they just want to change. And Carroll's great. He should probably go in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But at a certain point, when you're an organization and you've done the same things for over a decade, maybe you need to change it up. And I will say one more thing before we continue on with this conversation with you guys. If I recall correctly, Pete Carroll is the last NFL true connection to Bud Grant, who just passed away this past May. Um, Carroll loved Grant like a dad, um, coached under him um, in Minnesota after he was fired at Ohio State and replaced by Nick Saban. Uh, He didn't get fired. He left to go be the defensive coordinator at North Carolina State. Okay, well, then thank you for that. I screwed that up. But he ended up coaching under Bud Grant, and he was with the Vikings for quite a while. He was a defensive coordinator before uh, Tony Dungy ended up getting that job under Dennis Green. So um, Pete Carroll has has a deep connection to Minnesota. And, man, uh, good, good on him for a fantastic career. I just don't see him staying. Yeah, so – I kind of want to go back to uh, to something that AJ talked about in terms of like what this power structure looks like uh, if Carol does kind of stay on in that uh, advisory role and you kind of have a, uh, a kind of muddled power picture here. Kevin, what do you think about the idea of hiring one of these like young hotshot coordinators a year early? I think specifically the name that you'd be looking at for Seattle would be Dave Canales. Uh, the Buccaneers offensive coordinator who was the Seahawks quarterbacks coach last season before he got hired away to Tampa Bay this year. Do you think it's prudent to think about a guy like that, knowing that you're going to have Carroll in the building as kind of like a mentor advisor sort of role, kind of almost the same way that like McVay had Wade Phillips on his first staff where you have kind of like that experience for like a super young first time head coach. Yeah. It's an interesting idea, right? Because like, you can sort of fast track and have the one year of like coaching mistakes and then be able to hit year two running with Pete Carroll either looking for a new job or stepping away from coaching or advising in general. Like I think that this advisory role for him is probably a one year thing. Uh, I think Dave Canales would be a great hire, right? Like I think that he has done a lot with Tampa Bay's offense this year. He has made Baker Mayfield into a playoff starting quarterback. Uh, and, you know, that offense is at least competent with Baker Mayfield starting. And, like, to some credit, like, Dave Canales does deserve a lot of credit for what's working in Tampa Bay. The one concern is that, like, as I think it was AJ who mentioned, I don't know if Seattle wants to go through a reset year. And hiring one of these hotshot coordinators kind of implies that you are going to go through that in some degree uh, because of just some of the learning curve around it. So... I think that the big thing here is that, like, 
is Dan Quinn the best coordinator? Like, I don't know if Dan Quinn is the best one with ties to to Pete Carroll because uh, you know, uh, uh, Dan Quinn I think is a good coach. I don't know if he's a great coach, and I don't know if he really changes the the trajectory of this team. But like, I, I don't know. This is such a weird situation to be in because if you're trying to hire a guy who, similar to Alabama, coached at, uh, you know. Seattle, then he's probably your best hire. Uh, but I, man, you're going to have some problems here. I think if Dan Quinn is the head coach, because I think you're just not going to hit that same ceiling and no one's going to hit the same ceiling as Pete Carroll. But I, man, I, that hire, I don't think inspires anyone, does it? Like, I, I is it safe to say that hiring Dan Quinn in 2024 is not inspiring any of us? I don't know. I think that uh, Dan Quinn has done a fine job as a Cowboys defense coordinator. What do you think, Karina? I actually do like the Dan Quinn hire potentially just because he has head coach experience. He knows what works and what doesn't. And if you're going to go into an organization that has talent on the roster, it's good to have experience. I do like the Dave Can- the Canales thing, but I was just thinking about that seems like a higher – that you would do if you knew this was going to happen way in advance, right? Like if they had someone on their staff that they could elevate saying, you know, yeah, you're a first time head coach, but you were under Pete Carroll as like an assistant. Like we knew who was waiting in the wings the whole time, instead of pulling someone that went from your program as a position coach into a coordinator position. I feel like this came together for the Seahawks as like a, middle ground between keeping Pete Carroll and staff and like not firing him and saving them organization and Pete Carroll, the embarrassment of potentially being fired um, that you would then have somebody waiting in the wings. If you knew this was going to happen to your advance, like if it was a true Pete Carroll retirement, where it's like, Oh, this is going to be my last year internally. You know, it just has different vibes. Like even from the saving thing, I would go with a more experienced head coach if I were them. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point too, because I think that like they kind of have been trying to uh, kind of float Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator, as that kind of like in-house guy to kind of like be groomed as the guy to take over, and it just hasn't worked. I mean, like Waldron's perception uh, in the media and kind of around the league still seems to be relatively high, but like he hasn't gotten a request for an interview for any of the other head coaching jobs open around the league. Um, the offense kind of took a step back this year, uh, under his direction. And so I think that like, you kind of have hit a crossroads as Seattle, um, where you don't really have a great in-house candidate at this point, even if you maybe thought you did heading into the season, uh, Carol said, you know, that like he got asked if he knew when he addressed the players on Monday, whether or not he was going to be, you know, retiring quote unquote. Um, and he said that he didn't. And so, you know, I think this is this is definitely something that's come together very quickly for Seattle, um, which I think you can kind of like go both ways with that argument of like maybe that means that they want to like fully reset and just like hire someone completely outside the the family, um, if you want to call it that. Or maybe that means that like they're going to panic and just hire someone that they're familiar with. Um, AJ, do you have any extra thoughts on that kind of like where that direction might go? Yeah, it's like with the the sudden Pete Carroll change, basically from Monday to Wednesday when all this happened, 
it doesn't necessarily scream the best for the organization, right? Because just because Pete Carroll's like, yeah, I'm I'm going to coach till I drop, basically, and the organization was like, oh no, we're we we don't want you to do that. It it just doesn't. I don't know that that feels like kind of wrong to how you treat a peak a guy like Pete Carroll. But again, I think I think the organization saw something different than what Pete Carroll wanted because really this team was just. I think the thing is this year was they were just they had too many they had injuries across the offensive line and i think it was a lot of uh like positional coaches and i think like maybe if it's it's kind of similar to Saban where you just don't necessarily maybe trust Pete Carroll with the same like assistant staff but i mean Shane Waldron was fine um Clint Hurt as the defensive coordinator probably was going to end up getting fired which i thought was the only Seattle coaching news we would get was Hurt getting fired and so for all of this to happen, it, it really felt kind of similar to the Tennessee Titans thing with Mike Vrabel, where the organization and the coach saw the stat or saw the roster in two different states. And so where the, where they go from here is really interesting, especially if you're going to keep Pete Carroll on staff, because you know, how, how do you really balance Pete Carroll's vision of what this team could be? Because Pete Carroll knows what he's talking about. Versus how different, like, what is the disconnect between them? And I think that's ultimately, like, Pete Carroll just kind of realized that he wasn't going to win that battle. And I think that's why he just kind of stepped aside with grace, as much grace as he could without getting just fired. Yeah. I think it's funny that you uh, you bring up, like, you know, kind of the what's called deficiencies that Seattle had kind of from a, a skill position uh, and, like, a position coach standpoint. Um, because uh, the Bears... Uh, could have just cleaned house, and instead they uh, they decided that all of their position coaches were the problem, and uh, Matty Bruflus is back, baby. Um, and I just think that's a very funny way to run an organization. Tyler, I feel like you have thoughts on the Bears. Yeah. Um, who the hell is going to want that offensive coordinator job? Because Bruflus literally Have-you. came out and said, uh, <laughs> oh, I'll take it. You give me that salary? My wife would be okay with Chicago. Um they said that whoever take, gets the OC job is going to have to stick with all of their position coaches and can't bring anybody else on. Well, they only have two position coaches left on staff. It's it's the tight ends coach and the O-line coach. Everyone now, else got fired. Now, my question here is I look at the O-line coach. I, I don't know. If, is that an O-line coach that you look at and you look at the past development and go, man, I really want to work with that guy. He's really developed a lot of good O-linemen in the past. Darnell Wright's pretty good. Dar- yeah, Darnold. You're, not, you're not a fan of of Nate Davis and Cody yeah, White here like, experiencing the worst year of his career this year. Like, <laughs> Kevin Jenkins turned out all right. Lucas Patrick is irrelevant. Did they pay him money to be relevant? Well, let, let's also can't snap the ball. Lucas let's Patrick also gets you signing though. Former. Practice. Let's also be real here though, Kevin. The the offensive line coach did a relatively good job considering what he was given. He made Braxton Jones look like a semi capable player as a fifth round pick. Like it, it, it's not like he had this phenomenal group of players to work with. Yeah. But my concern is that when you go and tell a guy that he's got to work with these guys, whether he likes it or not, like that doesn't do well for personalities. It's like for, especially for an offense, I'm sorry to cut you off, Kevin. I didn't mean to just barge in. Let's be clear. You definitely like it. It it ties into the point of like, especially if you want to hire like a, a quote unquote, like Shanahan, offensive uh coordinator like to run the outside zone all the all the niche things that you want to hit in a press conference to get the media to like you 
uh, you can't have an offensive line coach that doesn't match with that philosophically. And what are the Bears philosophically? Like, like what was their identity the last two years? Because it wasn't the Justin Fields run game. It wasn't quick game. It was just, who knows? Who knows what they want to be? And I think that's a, a problem for the like this offensive coordinator thing is it's like if I can't get the offensive line coach that I want that matches my philosophy or like if that's the scenario or you like you have to narrow your candidates to guys who match that offensive line coach like especially with the uncertainty with the quarterback that I mean they'll probably get resolved but probably not before you hire the offensive coordinator so it, it's such a weird like, like, why would you put yourself into that scenario kind of thing for an NFL team that really only the Chicago Bears could do because it's so, it's the Chicago Bears. Like so they, they they do this every other year. So Tyler or Tyler, I want to ask you this because you watched the Bears a lot recently uh, for your work at the Vikings Wire. Do you have any idea what the Chicago Bears are trying to be? Because I watched them once this year and went, I've got no fucking clue, and gave up on trying. Not going to lie. It, it was fascinating watching the Bears because half the time the offense was an absolute train wreck and the other half it's like, wow, this unit's really good. And there was too much tra- too many train wreck moments and route combinations where you'd have two or three guys in the exact same like 10-yard radius circle. Like the spacing was just atrocious. But there were every so often you'd see a, a concept of like, wow, that's really good. And then you'd see another one. And then you see another one. It's like, okay, we're stringing some things along. I think he wanted to be what Matt LaFleur did, but a little bit more creative considering the quarterback that he had. And they didn't necessarily trust Fields to do a lot of the progression stuff. And uh, they really thrived with him running the football. But it, it just felt like Getsy was just trying to do way too many things and couldn't even master what he was actually doing. And yeah, it, even though there was some good, there was so much. It was just like, dude, that's not even high school level. Yeah, I think to answer your question, Kevin, about uh, what the Bears were uh, were trying to be this season, I think they were trying to be Sean McDermott's uh, next metaphor um, for the most part. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I guess now that we're here, um, we might as well talk about like who ends up taking that job. Uh, Kevin, do you have uh, some ideas? Well, AJ had recently mentioned the whole idea of like you have to narrow your candidate search to someone who's familiar with this offensive line coach. And well, I don't know if any of you know where Chris Morgan coached before joining the Chicago Bears. AJ knows, I think, where I'm going with this. Uh, in 2021, he was the offensive line coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers, which means Chicago Bears offensive coordinator Matt Canada is still on the table. Um, also, if we're going to limit it to, uh, you have to keep the O-line coach, uh, just make him the offensive coordinator. Nope. It will be Matt Canada and you will deal with that. <laughs> my, my favorite thing about Matt Canada, especially like this off season, when they asked Mike Tomlin about it, he was like, Matt Canada, he just couldn't be himself because of all the outside noise. I'm like, dude, him being himself was the reason that all the outside noise was there to begin with. So I, I actually, it would be peak NFL for Matt Canada to get another job as like a quarterbacks coach. That would absolutely happen. 
Chicago Bears offensive coordinator Dirk Cutter because in 2020 he coached with the Atlanta Falcons and the offensive coordinator was Dirk Cutter. I'm just, you know what? Let's just go hire another retread. Yeah, you know I what? Think... Dirk Cutter, Dirk Cutter did work with Taylor Green at Boise State. True, and Cutter also retired. He did. Um, I do think like the one other interest, like sort of interesting name, and I know that AJ wasn't a huge fan of this when it got brought up this morning, um, was that if your plan is to just draft a quarterback at number one overall, like say the quarterback that currently resides in Los Angeles, do you think about, because it's already a dead man walking staff, right? It's already, it's already like, it's already a staff that is probably going to get cleaned out after the year. Do you at least think about calling one of those guys from USC and seeing if they will show up for a year and collect a check? Lincoln Riley, come on down, baby. Let's do this. Oh, I was going to say Alex Grinch. I was going to say Cliff Kingsbury. I'm 100% convinced that's where Alex was going to go. He hit the trifecta. I think, I mean, not Alex Grinch because he's a defensive coach, but I think hiring him as offensive coordinator might go better than hiring him as a defensive coordinator. But I mean, he does give up a lot of offensive points, so it works. Now, that's true. I, now his team score a lot of points. Real quick, I do have one more name. Uh, it is a Vikings-related name. Currently not on the Vikings staff, let's be clear, Tyler. Uh in 1997, 1998, what's this guy's name? Uh, Brian Wade Bill. Har- no, Wade Harmon was a coaching assistant for the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he was uh, familiar with Mike Tice. Uh, not Nate Tice, but Mike Tice. Uh, maybe we go hire longtime tight ends coach for the Atlanta Falcons, Wade Harmon, who has not coached since 2021. I thought you were going to say they should just hire Nate Tice. They could, could also just hire Nate Tice. They could hire any of us as well. There are a lot of names you can I'm not with. taking that job. I don't, I don't know, man. I would, as Tyler said, I would happily take a paycheck from the Chicago Bears to work with. Do Chris you know Hunter who I would really like to see have that job just because I think it could be spectacular, a spectacular failure or at least entertaining? Ben Solak. Well, we already saw the Brandon Staley experience. I mean, I, I can't imagine that it would work. <laughs> I'm, I don't think it would work, but I think it would be spectacularly entertaining. Especially the weekly press conferences. <laughs> okay, I, I thought a... Sirianni's press conferences were awkward. What has been so like? I, I, have a, I have a semi-serious name for coaching staff related things, and that is uh, uh, Tennessee Titans run game coordinator Justin Outen who worked with Chris Morgan in Atlanta. I don't know if you'd hire him as an offensive coordinator because... He's a Packers guy too, isn't he? Uh, yes, he was the Packers yeah, tight end coach. Yeah, he was part of Hackett's, for... I think, yeah. or wanted to be. Or I, I'm pretty sure he was with I think he worked Hackett with... in Denver. I think 2019, was... 2021, so he's probably with Getsy. Yeah, he's... I was going to say, I think he was oh. in Green Bay with okay. Getsy. I, I don't know if you'd hire him for that, but like he worked with Chris Morgan, and I guess that's... That's the new rule is you have to have worked with Chris Morgan at some point to be involved with this coaching staff. I mean, yeah, uh, I'm sure that Justin Outen's uh, offense would mesh well with what the offensive line is already doing, considering the offense would just be the same as it was last year. Um, So something to think about for sure. Uh, Something Uh, to consider. uh, Does that also mean that Arthur Smith is an option for Arthur Smith is unironically is now like actually, and I, I, I'm kind of like hmm. that 
that could work. Karina, you seem to have thoughts on this. I have thoughts on this because I just imagine Arthur Smith in a room with Brian Poles, and he's like, if we put all the players in the same spot on the field and we make Justin Fields throw the ball to that spot, if he misses, everyone can say, look, Justin Fields sucks, and then they don't put the blame on me, so it works. By the way, have you heard of your – what's your third string tight end and how many snaps can he play? <laughs> Mercedes Lewis is going to get a career high snaps next yeah. year. Robert Tunyon is having a career revival under Bears offensive coordinator Arthur Smith. Uh, another name that is an option is worked with Chris Morgan. Again, I'm just going down the Chris Morgan coaching tree at this point. Offensive assistant with the Atlanta Falcons, Charlie Weiss Jr. <laughs> Let's bring the Nick, the Lane Kiffin offense to the NFL with Charlie Weiss Jr. <laughs> This is awesome. I'm loving this, guys. There's QB Matt Corral to you. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Bears are trading Justin Fields, and then they will also trade down from number one and uh, be signing Matt Corral to start at quarterback. Also, next year. another option. Another option is uh, Steve Sarkeesian. <laughs> uh, something to think about. Who certainly. says no? Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, and then uh, trade yeah, down from number yeah, one and draft one year. Um, he, he also worked with Mike McDaniel, Bobby Turner, Matt LaFleur, and Kyle Shanahan. Uh, Chris right. has survived we should, everyone. We should probably right. talk about the playoffs now, Kevin. Bye, Kevin. Um, yeah, the playoffs are happening uh, this weekend. Um, the wild card games are uh, pretty good. The Dolphins game is the Dolphins Chiefs game is on Peacock, which I think is really funny for the Taylor Swift audience. Uh, you all got to pay for Peacock in order to see the Taylor Swift playoff reaction cam. Um, but uh, we'll start, I guess, with the first one, which is Browns Texans. Um, we can kind of run through these pretty quick. Um, we'll just kind of do a quick like 10 seconds. Like, who do you think is going to win sort of thing? We'll start with Tyler. Oh, my goodness. I really want the Texans to win so I can uh, go back and say that the Texans were right about trading their own first round pick and not the Browns. Um, plus, I, it's that offense versus the Browns defense. I don't think Flacco is going to be able to continue it in the playoffs, especially against this top 10 Texans defense. That was 20 seconds too long. AJ, Browns, Texans. I took Kevin's time. It's fine. Good point. Uh, uh, Browns, because I think Bobby Slawick is, is going to put the, the Browns defense in really bad spots. This no, man said Slawick. In good spots, sorry. This man really said Slawick. That's crazy. Karina, yeah. uh, how do you feel about Browns-Texans? Uh, Texans give the C.J. Stroud legacy drive in the Captain Freakazoid Bowl. Kevin, we're limiting you to not only 10 seconds, but also three words. Browns-Texans. Tyler was right. Okay, good enough. Um, I'm taking the Texans, I think. Um, I think that the Browns winning would be funny. Um, and so I really want to believe that that will happen, but I think that the Texans will probably win. Am I the only one picking the Browns here? <laughs> uh, I'm, yes, I'm saving. I'm saving the graphic from being unanimous. That's yeah, that's my role exactly. Here. That's your role here. Um, we'll move on to uh, Chiefs Dolphins, which is at uh, five o'clock Pacific time, exclusively on Peacock. Again, um, we'll start with Karina this time. Uh, how do you think Chiefs Dolphins will go? Uh, I think Chiefs win. I think. Patrick Holmes does just enough. I don't know that Tua is the kind of quarterback that can go drive or drive with Holmes. I, I in the playoffs, I don't give me the Chiefs. 
fair and reasonable. AJ Chiefs Dolphins. Chiefs. I it it's I I can't bet against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, right? Especially now that they're kind of clicking defensively. Miami is really banged up on the pass rush. I think Mahomes is going to work some magic and get it done. Tyler. It'd be really funny to watch Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle just wreak havoc and win this game, but that defense is just absolutely destroyed for Miami. It's it's the Chiefs. It's going to be like ten degrees in that game with like negative a billion degree less wind than chill, ten degrees. Be, I think it's supposed to be, be like three degrees. Um, well, there's a ton of snow in this part of the country. Are they going to get a bunch on Saturday? Yes. The idea, I think, it's going to be like a snow game as well. Yeah, That's the idea. So, so that'll go. be fun. I think the Chiefs will win. Um, we'll move on to uh, wait real quick. I'm a, to, uh, no, no, no. You I'm don't get to talk about the Dolphins. Dolphins. No, no, no. They no, 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 no. <laughs> Moving on to uh, Steelers Bills Sunday at uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, Tyler, how do you feel about that one? It's going to be another snow game, and I just I don't trust the Steelers. They have no T.J. Watt. They can't really do much on offense. Mason Rudolph is going to start a playoff game with a healthy Kenny Pickett, which is hilarious. Uh, Bills by thirty. AJ, yeah, I I got to go with the Bills too. I I think the Steelers getting in was just like the biggest. It was all just luck and Mike Tomlin like voodoo magic, uh, and an epic Jaguars collapse. Which thankfully JP isn't on to hear me say this live. But uh, yeah, I I think the Bills now that they're kind of humming, offensively and defensively. Uh, Give me the bills by by a lot. We'll take a risk and let Kevin speak. How do you feel about Steelers bills? I think it's close, but I think the bills win in the end. Okay. Reasonable. Thank you for being uh, not weird. Uh, Karina Steelers bills. Give me the bills. I'm not betting against Josh Allen. Yeah. I think we're all in agreement here. Um, starting well, Mason Rudolph in the playoff game is very funny. I'll say one thing real quick. This is the exact type of game that this Bills team would lose. So it's going to be one that you'd want to watch. This is very true. It is also um, the exact game that Mike Tomlin normally wins. Also very true. Uh, but if Mason Rudolph wins a playoff game, uh, that will be the funniest outcome possible for this season. Um, moving on to uh, Packers-Cowboys, the mid-afternoon game. Uh, Kevin, how do you see this one going? I got this feeling the uh, the Cowboys win this by two scores. I, I just think Dak is going to be better than the Packers' mess of a defense. Tyler? This young Packer team, I think, is going to uh, go in there, and they're going to fight, and it's going to be really close. But I think the Cowboys win by less than a touchdown. Karina, how about you? I'm going to go Packers because I – this game always has some like weird voodoo magic in it, and it's the Cowboys, and you know how they are in the playoffs. And I genuinely think that Jordan Love outplays Dak Prescott. I think his MVP hype is overrated. AJ? Well, well just because of that, uh, I'm going to say Dak throws like four touchdowns. Um, but it, it kind of like with Karina's point, Packers in Dallas is always weird, especially the last few years. But it, it, Dallas at home hasn't, they haven't lost in, I think, two years now. Uh, at home, they, they don't have to play on the road. In, I got to go with the Cowboys. I, I just think that that offense, the way that they're humming right now, especially against Green Bay's defense, they're going to have 
Preston Smith out against CD Lamb at one point, and it's just going to get memed to hell. Yeah, I'm going to go Cowboys with this one too. I think I think all of you brought up pretty solid points. The Cowboys are a much different team at home. They're just a machine, um, and so I think that they end up pulling that one out. Um, moving on to uh, the finale for Sunday night, uh, we've got the Matthew Stafford slash Jared Goff uh, Bowl. Uh, with Rams Lions. Uh, we'll start with AJ given that he has a uh, rooting interest. I've I've really gone back and forth with this one. I it's hard for me to bet like bet against the Rams right now. Like they've just been playing excellent football uh, and and I would absolutely every day of the week take Matthew Stafford over Jared Goff and ultimately I think that's the difference in this game. Uh I I just think Matthew Stafford is going to make the throws. Matthew Stafford in the postseason a couple years ago was on another level, and I think that they're going to get back to that. So I am, I'm all aboard. We're going with the Rams in this one. Tyler, I don't know if it was true or not, or if it was just a meme that I saw, but I I did see that the Lions weren't allowing Matt Stafford jerseys into the building, that which is it, okay. Either way, it's hilarious. Um, I I look, I don't trust this uh, Detroit Lions secondary. They continuously get torched. Um, Justin Jefferson ate their lunch, spit it on them, and then stomped all over their faces with Nick Mullins at quarterback this past Sunday. And Matt Stafford with uh, Pukunakua, Cooper Cup, they're just going to do the same thing. And I think the Rams win by a touchdown. Karina, how about you? I am also going to go with the Rams. I think Sean McVay is going to slice and dice Dan Campbell up. I really do. I think he's going to scheme something up. He's going to keep Stafford Sharp in the pocket, a lot of stuff downfield. Give me the Rams, Kevin. Give me the Rams. Uh, I I think that Matthew Stafford is going to have something to prove this game. And man, I as AJ said, I just have a hard time betting against this current Rams team. Uh, they they're playing really good football, and they're like that one team that just carries it into the playoffs and wins a playoff game. Like you just can't really explain it, but they just kind of win one. I'll save us from being unanimous here. Uh, the lions have been uh, pretty hated on by the media this season. It feels like um, just in terms of like being an overrated squad and everything. I do think that like, it's going to be probably closer than it should. Um, I think it was our uh, departed uh, co-host, JP, may he rest in peace, that was bringing up in the group chat. Uh, the Lions run a ton of man coverage, and the Rams are one of the best offenses at beating man coverage this season. Um, and so I think that that will kind of throw a wrench into things. But I do ultimately think that the Lions will find a way to win kind of as they have throughout the rest of the season. Uh, moving on to the Monday night game, uh, we've got eagles Bucks at 515 Pacific. Uh, Karina, we'll start with you. Um, I This game's gonna make me kill myself in Nick Sirianni's office <laughs> but I I can't pick the Eagles I just can't do it AJ Brown there's really been no injury updates on him I don't know if no news is good news don't know what's going on with Devontae Smith they don't use the tight ends properly everything is vertical if there's no one to run vertical rounds and trust me you do not want Quez Watkins being your number one wide receiver then I, I don't know. I can't bet against Baker Mayfield right now. He's playing decent enough football. This James Bradbury could not cover me on a double move. I'm sorry. I'm picking the Bucks by three. Tyler, I, I 
don't trust the Eagles right now. I don't trust them on offense. I don't trust them on defense. I don't trust the coordinators to be able to um, scheme up a game plan that's just not super basic because that's kind of what they're doing right now. Um, I I think the Bucks are going to win this, and I think Baker Mayfield is going to solidify himself as the starter in Tampa Bay for at least the next few years, uh, at combining, obviously, on top of what he did this year. I, I don't trust the Eagles, and I think I'd pick them to lose against every single playoff team in the NFC right now. Kevin? I have the Buccaneers by double digits. Uh, the, the vibes have never been lower than they are in Philadelphia right now. Matt Patricia is shockingly bad at his job again. Uh, but like, it's just like, I don't, there, there's no reason for me to take the Eagles at this point because there is quite literally nothing going for them right now. That's like, a sign of relief or a sign of hope in a dark time. Like it is just completely dark, bad vibes. Like just like Twitter space, bad. Like I just, I, I got nothing to, to like good to say about the Eagles right now. AJ. I think I'm going to pick the Eagles. I, 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 this, here's my, here's my thing with, with the Buccaneers. I'm so like, I have no idea what you're going to get out of Baker Mayfield on any given game, drive, play. And where he struggles the most is under pressure. And I think the Eagles defense can can generate pressure with the best of them. If he if he can like stand in the pocket and actually, you know, like make the plays that he needs to, which has been kind of difficult for him over the last month, uh, really most of his career, let's be real there. Um it's they're going to probably slice up the Eagles defense, but let's keep in mind that the Bucks defense isn't good either. Like that Buccaneers defense is, is the worst passing defense in the NFL. They're not great at getting to the quarterback. And I actually kind of think that the Eagles offense can score on them pretty regularly. Um, so I'm, I'm just, I actually feel like this one could be a bit of a barn burner just because both defenses aren't, great it just kind of depends on who you trust more and uh, where this where i think the the show is going to be is mike evans and chris godwin and then aj brown and Devonte smith and who makes the most plays out of that group yeah i think that um oh jp is here jp who do you think hey, is going to win eagles bucks who i think is going to win eagles bucks uh eagles but they better not fuck around this is a <laughs> this is a fuck around and find out game uh yeah, yeah. They're find out when they're all fucking unemployed. Yeah, I, JP I, joins the show and immediately makes it explicit. Welcome, sir. Look, <laughs> hey guys. Um, I really am going back and forth on this game. I think the Eagles should win this. They can they can ball control this game if they want to, but Brian Johnson has never heard of a running game in his entire life. He sees Quarterback draw is part of the run game. Let's be clear. He sees DeAndre Swift hit the wrong gap once and just has a full-scale meltdown on the sideline and never runs the ball ever again. Calling him the Theo Ash offensive coordinator. (laughs) What would you call the push push? With Jalen Hurts' finger being all messed up, I don't know how much that QB run game or how effective Jalen Hurts is going to be. And then you combine A.J. Brown being hurt and this seems a lot like an offense that may not be at full effectiveness. And you combine that with a defense that is 
really, really bad. And I think Baker Mayfield has shown that he can torch secondaries with bad secondaries and uh, or bad safeties and linebackers. Again, this is a fuck around and find out game. And I would not fuck around. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I was kind of saving the Bucks pick in my back pocket as like my uh, my big upset pick. But uh, I'm kind of I, I go back and forth on this one. I do think that like the Bucks in particular are kind of the not the worst, but a particularly bad matchup for the Eagles in terms of like the Bucks offense is very much a chaos machine. Um, where the entire offense just kind of boils down to like, hey, we're going to throw it 60 yards downfield to Mike Evans. I hope you have a guy down there, and if you don't, then you lose. Um, and the Eagles, uh, to this point this season, have not really had a guy down there. Um, and so I think that this could be a game where uh, Mike Evans randomly well, has like 200 yards. They do have a guy down there. It's just Nolan Smith and not like an actual defensive back. It's unfortunately uh, Eli Ricks. Cornerbacks don't. Uh, cornerbacks don't matter, uh, is what I've been told by Howie Roseman. Um, I also think this could turn into a game where like Chris Godwin has like 14 catches and they're all just basically isolating him in the slot against Nick Morrow for the entire game. And yeah, yeah, that seems like a problem. 14 catches for 80 yards is going to cook as a stat line for Chris Godwin today. (laughs) Two touchdowns that are all like eight yards each. Yeah, he, he will have 80 yards. He he will be the Puka Nakua stat line from early in the season that everyone laughed about. But he will do it in a playoff game, but also score a few touchdowns. It'll be so funny. Yeah. So, yeah, that'll uh, that'll pretty much do it for this week. Uh, thanks, JP, for uh, joining for the last five minutes of the show. Um, everyone tune in next week for um, the exciting uh, resolution to whether or not Karina will still be alive following the Eagles' uh, playoff performance. Uh, make sure you tune in for uh, Nick Saban and Pete Carroll joining the show instead of Kevin. Um, they will be on a joint Zoom call together. It'll be one screen so that we still only have six hosts, but they'll be in a room together. Um, and they have to share one mic. Um, that's uh, that'll So that'll be really good. Make sure you I tune in I guess they can have my mic. Uh, yeah, <laughs> at least it's not yours. Very professional here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, hope you guys enjoyed. Make sure you... Uh, rate and review the podcast give us five stars uh if you do if you give us anything less than five stars we will be forced to uh, keep kevin employed and uh tell nick saban and pete carroll that they have to start their own podcast and uh we don't want to do that we want to have them on this one so uh everyone you know think of it as signing a petition the, to get kevin kicked off and replace him with pete carroll and nick saban um so with that uh for tyler aj karina kevin and jp for the last five minutes uh, My name is Alex, and we will uh, see you guys next time.